Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says, Then he came to, as Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. So Jesus and his disciples have passed back over to the Upper East Side of the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida from where they were before. He leads this man out of town. We don't know why, but Jesus would often take only a few disciples with him when he would go in to heal someone or raise them from the dead. But he takes this man away from the crowds and after he's healed, Jesus tells him not to go back to the town. Don't even tell people in the town. So perhaps there were those among the crowd who would discourage the man in his faith. Uh, Bethsaida is one of the towns that Jesus berated for their lack of faith. It's in Matthew 11:21, where he said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Bethsaida had seen many of his mighty works, but they were not responding uh, in a spiritual way. So Jesus uses spit again. He uses holy spit. This time he apparently spits directly on the man's eyes. uh, There's no spit like Jesus' spit. Obviously, you know, uh, I assume it was only saliva that there wasn't any phlegm. I mean... You're waiting for Jesus to heal your blindness, and you hear this. You know, I don't think, I don't think that was going on. And we don't see any spitting ministries today. You know, on the TV healing ministries. I don't know. It's apparently it's not a money maker to heal people with spit, so that's fallen by the wayside. But uh, Jesus, of course, is increasing the guy's faith. He's saying, "Here's what's." we're dealing with we're we're dealing with your eyes here and so he asked the guy you know he looks up he says what do you see and he said he's do you see anything he says he sees men like trees walking in other words his vision is blurry this sounds like nearsightedness i was nearsighted for most of my life and if you've ever been nearsighted you know the fuzziness of all things without your glasses or contacts and it depends on how nearsighted you are as to how fuzzy that is. Uh, the worst I remember when I, my eyes were examined, I was 20 to 25. That means I had to be within 20 feet of something to see it clearly that peop- other people could see from 225 feet away clearly. <laughs> That's really nearsighted. I'm not nearsighted anymore. I had cataract surgery and they put new lenses in there and now I'm farsighted. I have to wear these little things on my nose to to be able to read clearly. So this it sounds like he was healed, but he still has this nearsightedness problem. He sees indistinct shapes. He intuitively knows that these are people uh, moving about. Uh, we don't know if this man ever had sight. Was was he blind his whole life, or did he see at one point? And uh, now he's been healed from the blindness. 
This is the only instance in which Jesus heals someone in two stages. Is Jesus becoming weak? Are his batteries running down? Of course not. He could easily heal this man instantly, even without a word. You know, he tells a blind man later, your faith has made you whole. Made you whole. He doesn't even touch the guy, you know. He just says, oh, I want to see you. And Jesus says, okay. And that's it, you know. There's no limit to the power of Jesus. He, do, he can do it without any display or actions, such as he does here. And Jesus does everything with a purpose. Uh, Henry Morris says this two-stage miracle is recorded only by Mark, he points out. Since all of Christ's other miracles were apparently either instantaneous or continuous, this one must have had a special pedagogical purpose. Pedagogical. That means teaching. Henry Morris was a professor, you know. Big word. Perhaps, he says, to show that as creator he could exercise full control of everything, including the method and timing of all processes and events. And that's certainly true. Jesus healed many people and often varied the means or the method of doing so. He healed people of blindness a number of different ways in his ministry. And we need to give God freedom to act as he chooses and not confine him to a rigid methodology or to a pattern. Oh, he just doesn't work that way. David Guzik says Jesus probably chose this method at this time as an illustration to his disciples showing them then that their spiritual blindness, their spiritual blindness shown in the previous passage will be healed, but only gradually. In the previous passage, he was talking to them about beware, the the, uh, leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And, you know, they were confused because they thought it was because they didn't bring any bread. And Jesus Tells them, do you have eyes and you don't see? Do you have ears and you don't hear? How is it that you don't understand? And I think there's a message here in this. We're going to deal with this again uh, today. I know we've talked about it not that far in the past. Uh, this process that people might go through to get spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. But Jesus had to deal with it a number of times. Is Jesus surprised that the man is not completely healed immediately? No, of course not. Even Mark doesn't use his favorite word here. He doesn't say immediately. Uh, Jesus is not surprised. He just carries out phase two. And the the man sees everyone clearly. He has 20-20 vision after he's healed. Maybe 2015 or 2010. One time with correction, you know, when I was really nearsighted, I tested it uh, 2015. So I could see from 20 feet what someone with 20-20 vision could only see from 15 feet. That was good. But take those glasses off and I was close to blind. You know, I, I could see light and shadow and people moving like trees walking. But Jesus doesn't consult his divine healing handbook you know, chapter 23, how to heal stubborn blindness. He doesn't ponder, why didn't this work? It's always worked before. He's not a magician. He's the Lord from heaven, creator of the universe, full of all wisdom, knowledge, and power. He knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. So Jesus conducts this miracle of healing in two stages, and he has a purpose for doing it this way. 
And I think it can only be to teach us the spiritual truth. So once again, we see in this uh, a passage where I think there's a legitimate allegory uh, that we can make. I don't allegorize Scripture as a rule, and I think it can be dangerous, but I think it's obvious here after the previous passage, and then Jesus healing the man in this way, that we're, we're talking about something greater than just physical blindness and physical sight. Uh, Jesus healed many blind people during his time on earth. And this is one of the signs by which we know that he's the anointed one or the Messiah that was promised to come and rule and reign forever. Back in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, Isaiah writes, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So God himself coming to save them. Then, he says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, now, of course, he's talking in kingdom terms, the millennial kingdom, the things that will take place there. So uh, this passage, you know, in Jesus' ministry, as he's going around healing people, um, we might think of Jesus' miracles as a preview of coming attractions. You know, here's a preview of the kingdom. These are things that are going to be normal in the kingdom, the things that Jesus was setting right. But they identified him as the king and the God who was coming to save his people because he was doing these things. You recall in Luke 7:22, John the Baptist had been locked up in prison and he was beginning to have doubts about Jesus. So he sent some of his disciples and said, are you the one who's coming or are we to look for somebody else? In verse 22 of Luke 7, Jesus answers and says to them, you know, he just he does some mighty works right there when they're there. And he says, go tell John the things you've seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Signs of the Messiah. But Jesus came for a greater purpose than physical healing of any type. A greater purpose than restoration of physical sight. He came to bring healing for spiritual blindness. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15-23, this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We looked at a couple of, several prayers last week. Let's read this again just to refresh our minds. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So 
Uh, his part of his prayer for them was that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened. That's spiritual sight. And we remember these are this is people in the church that he's praying this for. You know, uh, we can all use to have our the eyes of our understanding uh, more open to be able to understand more. And that's a it's a growth process that we go through, as we'll also talk about. Colossians chapter one verses nine through twelve, Paul prays for them. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's that's spiritual sight. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. We want to have that so that we can please him, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. There's that. Uh, you know, not for the faint-hearted, but we, there's joy along with that. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So he wants us to have spiritual understanding. Remember, Paul is praying these things for believers, not for pagans. And when we believe, we still stand in need of spiritual understanding, knowledge, wisdom, and insight. In the healing of the man born blind in John 9, it's in that healing that we see Jesus coming into conflict with the Pharisees over spiritual sight. It's in John 9, in verse 35, after the healing, and he's washed and he can see, in verse 35, Jesus hears that they cast him out. You know, they excommunicated this blind man because he was exalting Jesus. If you exalt Jesus and praise him, you might get in trouble sometimes with people who don't like that. <laughs> and so Jesus heard they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He had not yet seen Jesus. You know, he sent him away to wash in the pool of Siloam. He didn't. Once he got aside, he didn't know who this guy, what, the, what he looked like, you know. Um, and Jesus says to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of Judaism per se, but now he can worship Jesus. And Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world that those who, may, those who do not see may see. He's not, obviously not just talking about the physical healings he's done. And that those who see may be made blind. Part of his purpose, you know. And how did he do this? He did this by giving God's truth. And people chose their reaction to the truth that they heard. And they either received sight or they were made blind. And it's a spectrum, you know, that you can move along. Uh, we've discussed that before. Uh, how are you going to respond to the light that you have? Are you going to receive it? Are you going to resist it? You know, moving further into the light, further away from the light. And as believers, we should all be um, basking in the light, you know, and allowing God to increase our understanding and give us better insight, wisdom. So he says, uh, for judgment, you know, he said, I didn't come to judge, but to save. But the judgment takes place, he said, in another place, it's 
my words that will judge you in the last day. So how are you going to respond to his words? For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. And then it says, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words. And they said to him, Are we blind also? Interesting question for them to ask at this time. (laughs) And Jesus says, Oh no, I wouldn't say that. You guys are so holy and wonderful. He says... Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. They claimed that they could see, but they didn't see Jesus and who he was. Now, some of the Pharisees, of course, did, did come to believe. And that's the case with all peoples. So accountability is not the same for all. Some are not accountable to God at all. For example, the very young. The mentally damaged through no fault of their own, say a brain injury or something. Um, those who have uh, are mentally damaged through their own fault, <laughs> perhaps you know they will still have that accountability. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they can't recover or be healed. God does not charge these people with sin who have no accountability. Others are accountable for the light that they have and how they respond to the light, how they respond to God. So these Pharisees claimed to be purveyors of the truth, leaders of others to God, yet they were leading people astray. Jesus called them blind guides. Matthew 23:16 and 17, and his woes to them, he says, Woe to you, blind guides! who say whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Blind guides. How many people would hire a blind guide? If you were, you know, say you're going on tour somewhere. Well, let me show you these things. In Matthew 23:24, he calls them blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. When you're blind, you have no discernment. And then in Luke 6:39, he speaks a parable to them where he says, "Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch?" You don't want a blind guide. Uh, they were, you got to remember, these were the Bible experts of the day. And Jesus is calling them blind guides. We need to take care that the light that is in us is not darkness, that we're rightly dividing and understanding the Word of God. In Romans 2.19, speaking to the Jews in general, he says, You're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. But he says you're doing the same things they were doing. The blind leading the blind. Now this spiritual blindness may be a judgment from God that results from and may grow from the rejection of His truth. A rejection of the light God has given. Um, We'll just go on at this point. John 1.9 tells us that that was the true light. Jesus was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. His light shines on everyone. There's no man who does not have light from God 
and is not able to respond to the light. Response to the light determines how the man progresses. In Isaiah 6.10, this is a scripture we've looked at before, Isaiah receives his commission from the Lord. The Lord had asked him, who can I send? And he says, here I am, send me. And the Lord says to him, go to this people. And in verse 10, he says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And uh, Isaiah goes on to say, how long, Lord? And he said, till the cities are desolate and everything's wiped out. You know, this is, this is Isaiah's ministry. You know, that, boy, that's encouraging, Lord. So this, when he's speaking to Isaiah here, this is judgment. There's this judgment resulting in spiritual blindness, dullness of heart and ears. But God does not do this without cause. These people have been rejecting God's truth and God's word for some time. And so this was like the final step in that judgment. God doesn't do these things without cause, nor does he do it quickly. He is extremely long-suffering, giving people every opportunity to turn and respond. And a person can turn at anywhere anywhere along the line. And people do turn at anywhere upon the line and turn to God. And they're healed and they have spiritual sight and they're saved. Um, you know, it's quoted differently by Jesus, a little bit differently in Matthew 13, 14, and 15. He's speaking to people rejecting the Lord again. And he says, In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And he, he interprets it this way, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. There's a personal responsibility here. You don't necessarily pick that up from Isaiah and what the Lord says to him there because it sounds more like God saying, well, go tell them so that this happens to them, you know, which is, it gives me the idea that we're talking about a two-stage situation just as with this man who receives his sight and it's blurry and then, you know, he receives clear understanding and sight. And going the other direction, there's, there are two stages. People begin to harden their own hearts. They begin to, you know, close their ears and their eyes. It's only at the final stage where God steps in and completes the process. And that is the very final stage. I don't know that we encounter many people that are at that point. You know, I'm sure they're out there. We we don't even necessarily have the discernment to understand where they are on that on that scale. Uh, in Acts chapter 28, verses uh, 26 and 27, this is Paul in his house in Rome near the end of the book of Acts, and he quotes it very much as Jesus does. He says in verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn 
so that I should heal, heal them. So a person can come to this point where they're no, they're no longer perceptive to the light that God would give them. Isaiah 29, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah prophesying says, Pause and wonder, blind yourselves and be blind. He says, they're, not drunk. they're drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and He has covered your heads, namely the seers. It's a serious judgment from the Lord upon, uh, at this point it would be Judah, being blinded because they reject the truth of God. And horrible situation to come to. But they have started by blinding themselves by their rejection of what good would bring. This process is detailed for us more in Romans chapter 1. This process of coming to a point of, uh, well, Romans it calls it uh, reprobation. And it is a process. We see it here as well in, in Romans 1. In verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You have to have the truth in order to be able to suppress it in unrighteousness. And that's what these are doing. He says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. There's that light that lights every man coming into the world. You know, the atheist says there's no God. God says there are no atheists. Now, they may believe they're atheists. I'm not saying they're not being honest or, or you know, or what they're thinking or feeling and so forth. But God says, who I am and what I have is manifest in you. What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And it's you know through this general uh, revelation of creation, since the creation of the world is in his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There will be no excuse for those who say there is no God and persist in that to the end. Because they know, they have that knowledge in their heart. Because although they knew God, he's talking about mankind in general here. You know, this knowledge they have of who God is, at least seeing his power, his divine attributes in creation. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's another way of saying uh, spiritual blindness. No spiritual understanding. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him. They became futile in their thoughts. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed animals and creeping things. And says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this process they're going through and stepping away and away and away from God. And 
uh, at this point, I, I don't know that they could not turn around. I would think they could. They could turn to God. He's, he's calling all the time. He's drawing people by His Spirit. And so, can they choose to turn? There are people who have, who have been, uh, as described at this point, you know, they've been at least at this point, and they've turned and come to the Lord and been forgiven and had their spiritual eyes open. Even beyond this point, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And so he talks about these practices that they do. People have turned from these and turned to the Lord and been healed of this. But in verse 28, he says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They had God in their knowledge. But they didn't like Him there. <laughs> they didn't retain. Didn't want to retain Him in their knowledge. God gave them over to this debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then He gives this long list of uh, various things that, that they're into, you know, and we think of the more um, outrageous things, such as, you know, the women exchanging use and the men exchanging use for that which is unnatural. But he talks about things like uh, disobedient to parents, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Those are things that come with uh, spiritual dullness. In verse 32 then, ending the chapter, he says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So we see this process taking place. But the promise of God is different. In Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, this is a chapter that's speaking about the servant of the Lord who is coming, and this servant is Jesus. And he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. So he's talking about this one to come as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison and those who sit in darkness from the prison house. He's the hope of spiritual sight. He's the hope of having blind eyes, spiritually blind eyes, healed. He's, he's the only hope of that. And he's more than willing, he's far beyond willing to uh, carry that out. Later in Isaiah 42 and verse 16, he promises, I will bring the blind by a way they do not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. So he, he really loves the blind. He's going to make a way for them. He's going to lead them in paths they have not known. They have to be willing to be led. But this is what he desires to do for them, to make a darkness light before them, to have not just the, the physical blindness healed, but the blindness of the heart, the spiritual blindness. And then in Isaiah 46 and verse 8, it says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. So men are judged on the basis of their response to Him. Their response to the truth of God and to the light that God gives. He has come to open men's eyes to reality. 
we really don't know reality unless we're looking at it through the truths that God has given to us. Spiritual sight is given to those who humble themselves before God, those who receive the truth of God. Others harden their hearts and become unable, if they continue on that path, to perceive spiritual light. And of course, spiritual sight is infinitely more important than physical sight. Physical blindness is temporary. Spiritual blindness, not healed, is eternal. Now, healings have been described by someone as, a temp- as temporary reversals of the effects of the curse on creation. And I think that's a good description of uh, healings, of miracles. A, a temporary, temporary reversals of the effects of the curse on creation. Because they're temporary. People that were raised from the dead, people that were healed, they still died. Their bodies still deteriorated. We have something infinitely better coming than healings. A permanent reversal of the effects of the curse on, vaca- on the creation that is coming. Henry Morris again it says, um, he says, When a blind person is suddenly enabled to see by means of eye surgery, he at first has no proper depth perception, finding it difficult to put what he sees in proper perspective. The first stage of Jesus' miracle on this man would roughly correlate with the first perceptions by a newly healed blind person. The second miracle, however, gave the man instantaneous, normal sight, thus clearly showing that this was not a naturalistic process. When we come to the Lord in salvation, we do not automatically have perfect sight, spiritually speaking. We move from darkness into the light, but as babes in Christ, we simply do not have a full or mature understanding of the things of the Lord or the things of the world. We don't see all things clearly, which is where this guy ended up. Uh, William MacDonald says, Every case of healing is different, as is every case of conversion. Some gain remarkable spiritual sight as soon as they are converted. Others see dimly at first then later enter into full assurance of salvation. I think we all can testify to that. Sometimes we'll compare our conversion with somebody else's conversion. Oh man, they were were so far ahead of me. Oh, I was so far ahead of them at this point. (laughs) As babes in Christ, we are like the man who has received his sight but is still nearsighted. He does not see clearly, nor do we see all things clearly. We know that we've been given sight. We know who has given us sight. But a lot of what we encounter is still fuzzy. We have a new ability to understand His Word like the disciples when He opened their eyes to understand the Scriptures. But we don't have the mature spiritual understanding that God desires for us to have. And that understanding comes through spiritual growth in the Lord. You know, we're not at the end. When we come to know Jesus, we're just at the start. We're at the starting line. Second Peter 3.18, the end of Peter's second letter, he says, tells them, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We're to grow in the Lord. And we grow by uh, in Him by taking heed to the Word of God and by being obedient to His Spirit. First uh, Peter chapter two verses one through three, he exhorts them, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, 
desire the pure milk of the Word, God's Word, God's truth, that you may grow thereby. That's what He gives us to grow on. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And I think we all have. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, uh, the, the author tells us, For everyone who partakes only of milk, only is added, but I think it's justified. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those are spiritual senses that are exercised to discern good and evil. As we grow, we move beyond milk alone. If we're babes, we're on... We're you know, taking in milk. As we begin to grow, we take in solid food. I still love the milk of the Word, the glorious truths that are manifestly evident to the newborn spiritual mind. But there are things that require more diligence to grasp, things for which we must earnestly seek God for understanding, and truths that must be mined for as silver or gold. And, uh, of course, the Lord talks about this. They're precious as silver and gold. It must be, well, as we grow in the Lord and in the truth of His Word, we begin to see as He sees. And we can only see things clearly as the Lord sees if we look through the lens that He has provided. Many people who name the name of Christian, call themselves Christians, don't see very clearly because they don't look through the lens that God's provided, which helps us to interpret everything around us in the world. Our spiritual nearsightedness is remedied by the consistent application of His Word. And all things become clear. In Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, He's talking about our spiritual sight. He uses the illustration of a lamp here in verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. This is where light comes into your body, right? This is the illustration. Light enters through your eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Uh, King James says, when your eye is single, and that's, you know, word means the same thing, good. When your eye is, you're getting light and your eye is focused, we might say, on what it should be focused on, this single thing, this good thing, which is God's way of seeing things, God's truth, God's light. He says, therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So that, again, spiritual light, spiritual understanding. So it's important that we view everything through the lens that he's given, his eternal word, if we are going to see things as he does. How we see or perceive determines how we respond to everything in our environment. Whether people, ideas, institutions, religions, doctrines, everything. If we're going to be pleasing to God, we need to understand things as He has revealed them to be. 
Otherwise, we may be easily deceived and tossed to and fro with various doctrines, as he warns us about in Ephesians 4, whether those doctrines be good or bad. We won't have good discernment, and our growth will be stunted. There are many who claim the name Christian who hold many of the same values as the world of darkness, values that are completely the opposite of what God commands. An approval of sexual immorality and perversion, a value of safety over obedience. Safety's good, but obedience is a lot better. <laughs> it ensures eternal safety. A spirit of fear rather than a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. A misplaced faith, a lack of hope, and a love of the world. Being conformed to the world rather than transformed by God's truth. And this is remedied by taking heed to his word in all sober-mindedness. When God says something, he's serious about it. He's not you know, saying anything lightly to us. This is a dangerous time to be a believer because it is too easy to be like the world. I'm talking about our Western culture. It's too easy to be like the world and be approved by the world. Many will not be prepared for the things that are coming. I think uh, the world is in a lot more precarious position than many people perceive it to be today. We're, you know, we're in that last day scenario and we're seeing things ramp up significantly. Um, you know, I think the Lord's coming back for us, but we don't know how bad things are going to get, you know, before he does return for his church. And after that, <laughs> nobody wants to be here for sure. So they won't necessarily be prepared. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we're talking about understanding his word and being obedient to his word. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And we're building our lives on his truth. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I don't know if Moondoggy ever read this or not. You know, if you don't know who he is. Peter again exhorts us to grow in the Lord. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9, through 9, he talks about adding things to your faith. This is spiritual growth. Giving diligence to this, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. This growth in the Lord as we add these things. For if these things are yours, he says, and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, he's nearsighted, that's well, we've been talking about even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Don't want to be that person. right? We don't want to be them. There are other people we don't want to be. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus speaks to the people and says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We don't want to be them. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his 
Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We want to be walking in His light. Now, of course, we will only have perfect vision, perfect understanding when we're in His presence and glorified by His power. Then we shall see face to face. 1 Corinthians 13.12 Paul says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And so we have the mirror of His Word that we are to look into. Um, thought it escapes me. Second Corinthians three fourteen through seven or fourteen through eighteen says um, he's speaking of the Jews here who um, came through their Old Testament experience, but he compares it to Moses putting that veil over his face when he comes down from the mountain. And so he speaks of these people in verse 14. He says, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. That blindness is healed. Spiritual blindness is healed. And then we grow to see better and better. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's that mirror of His Word that we look into. That's the only place where we see His image as in a mirror is in His Word. It's the perfect image of the Lord Jesus. And uh, James warns us in James chapter 1, 21 through 25, Lay aside all filthiness, the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And he talks about the importance of not just uh, receiving that word, but being obedient to it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So, you can look into the mirror and not follow through. And then when you go away, you're not getting any understanding. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So looking into that perfect law of liberty, God's, God's holy word. One other passage, Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He's writing to the church in Laodicea. And he rebukes them. He says in verse 17, Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They had spiritual blindness going on. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So he's, he's willing to open their eyes. He'll give them some eye salve to put on their eyes. These references here uh, were things that took place in Laodicea. They, they had a, a pharmacy 
might not have called it that, you know, at their time, but they made ice have there. It was supposed to be good for your eyes, and they they had a a black woolen garment that was famous for being made in Laodicea. And he said, "Buy for me a white garment. Buy for me gold refined in the fire." They were they were rich. They had all sorts of gold there for themselves. So we see this process, this two-stage process. It's possible for people to close their own eyes and ears, harden their hearts, and then if they proceed on that path to a certain point, which only God knows, then he will complete the process as he did with Pharaoh. We see that in the example of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We see that progression in the experience of Pharaoh. But to us, he's given us spiritual understanding. He's brought us into the light. Uh, it's necessary that we grow in Him. That we come to the point where we can see things the way He sees them. And that will lead to our ability to respond to those things in the way that He would have us respond. And we'll be responding as He would respond. Because we're seeing what He has said, what He is giving us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Jesus, for His healing power, His ability to bring about physical healing, but most especially spiritual healing. We thank You for the gift of spiritual sight and understanding that You give to Your people, that You have given to us. And uh, those who take heed to Your Word, Lord, we pray You give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, willing hearts, Lord, to uh, not only hear what You say, but to follow through and Seek to do what you say, Lord. Thank you for spiritual insight and understanding. And we ask that you would increase our ability to understand, Lord. As we know, no one outgrows this need in this life. Uh, we, we ask for strength and insight to stand in the coming days as the world grows dark. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised sight to the blind. Help us to see and discern all things to see all things clearly. And let us be, uh, as you were, uh, lights to the blind, lights in a dark world, Lord, and lead us into your kingdom for eternity. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.